Hey everybody, boys, girls, ladies, gentlemen, humans, dogs, cats. Uh, welcome to Take the Black Live, one of several shows on the internet where we talk about all things sci-fi, fantasy, movies, TV, books, etc. I'm glad to see I'm glad to see everybody here. Hey Martha, hey Julie, uh, Andrew, fantasy fan, Robert, y'all coming out. I love it. Um, we'll start with really quick, I think Fantasy Fan complimented, um, oh sorry, Andrew complimented Daniel here. Uh, oh, because you're Daniel Roman, editor of WinnersCorner.net, and I, I've been Sonky WinnersCorner.net, and that's Coda, uh, I assume, yes. inspiration behind your editorship of WinnersCorner.net. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, Daniel complimented you on your interview of Patrick Rothfuss yesterday, which I congratulate you too. That was a great interview of author Patrick Rothfuss. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, glad you enjoyed it, Andrew. Uh, we're going to talk about this today on the stream, uh, mm -hmm. but just a little context for maybe anyone who didn't see it. I spoke to Patrick Rothfuss, author of The King Killer Chronicle. Uh, so that interview is up on the channel on YouTube. Uh, you can check it out. Uh, but yeah, we've got we've got plenty of stuff to talk about today. So, um, Dan, I'm gonna, just going to sit here and pet this cat. He's decided it's his stream today. What What's first on the agenda, Dan? All right, we are going to go to Westeros as always. The cat's name is Coda. Hi, Coda. Good to see you. You're looking very well. Um, and we have an explosive behind the scenes shot to share with everybody. Uh, filming's over. They're wrapping up. They're editing all the new House of the Dragon episodes as we speak. And House of the Dragons, which is a uh, Twitter account, X account, whatever you call it now, it still won't catch on. It's been posting a couple of behind-the-scenes uh, shots, and this just looks great. This is a behind-the-scenes shot from House of the Dragon. There is fire exploding out of an entrance. Extras are being roasted, extra crispy. Um, it just looks like an exciting time to be on set. And we'll talk about. Let's talk first about what's going on here. So, yeah, I guess the honest answer is we're not one hundred percent sure, but. <laughs> the uh, smart money is on these people being a group of people who are trying to tame a dragon, probably the dragon Vermithor, who we met briefly in House of the Dragon season one. We've talked before about how in the second season there will come a moment where Rhaenyra Targaryen wants more dragon riders on her side, so she puts out a call. Anybody who can tame one of these wild dragons we have hanging out here on Dragonstone can. Have uh, all right. <laughs> I assumed I assumed that was me because I have uh, deep woods Internet. So anytime things freeze, I think it, I think it's me. But I think Dan might be frozen. So what he was saying, what we think is happening here. Um, basically, late in the Dance of the Dragons, uh, Rhaenyra Targaryen puts out a call to try to get more dragon riders on her side. It's called The Sowing of the Seeds. It is a sequence we're really expecting to see in um, Season 2. And basically, we think that what's happening here is some seeds getting crisped up um, barbecue style. Because obviously not uh, everyone who tries to ride a dragon will be able to do so successfully. Um, and yeah, uh, so part of the reason that I, I think Dan was saying right before he disconnected, he thinks this could be 
Vermithor. Uh, so Vermithor was King Jaehaerys's dragon, the the old king who preceded King Viserys. We saw him during the first scene of season one. Um, Vermithor has been riderless since Jaehaerys died. He's been just living on Dragonstone. We saw Damon sing to him in the season one finale. And part of the reason that this is likely Vermithor, like that's the theory that we're kind of running with here, is because there's kind of these ornate pillars uh, that we saw in the image uh, where these people are getting roasted. And most of the dragons that the dragon seeds, as these hopeful dragon riders uh, are called, um, most of them are wild dragons. So living in caves, living out in the middle of, you know, abandoned, isolated areas. Like there's the cannibal who's a dragon known for attacking other dragons. There's sheep stealer who, uh, as the name implies, likes to eat the sheep of the people who live on Dragonstone. But this one, uh, the the fire here is coming out of a very clearly man-made structure. Um, another thought I had, you know, I seeing these pillars, I was kind of like, is that the dragon pit in King's Landing, which is the huge building in King's Landing where they keep dragons? Um, but I went back and looked at the scene where uh, Maylees and Rhaenys fly out of the dragon pit in season one. And that's a different entrance. It's a higher entrance with slightly different pillars. So this is an entrance we haven't seen before that I'm aware of. Uh, so yeah, that is something we are expecting to see next season. Um, Martha asks, what is the lifespan of a dragon if it lives to an old age? Um, you know, I don't know this off the complete top of my head. Hundreds of years, at least, right? Because Vagar in this season is hundred and... 30-ish, 150, you know, Vagar has been around for quite a while by this point in time, because that was uh, the dragon of Aegon the Conqueror's sister, Visenya. Um, and yeah, Visenya, that was over a hundred years before uh, the the House of the Dragon conflict. So yeah, dragons live hundreds of hundreds of years. It's hard to say exactly what their lifespan is because most dragons don't die of old age. Um, so yeah, that that's the House of the Dragon news for the day. There's not a lot going on uh, or not a lot of news coming out about House of the Dragon right now um, because the show's kind of in the very tail end of production. It's a lot of stuff on studios and sound stages. Um, this shot, it's interesting because... I don't know who took this picture because some of the, you know, the early pictures we saw, a lot of them were because it was in public parks. So like all of the Battle of Rook's Rest pictures we've looked at, that's a public park. And that's why people were able to go in and take pictures of it. Um, this one, it's not really clear if this is a soundstage. You can see a little bit of blue screen back there. So presumably they're going to CGI in more, more background. Um, but yeah, so until House of the Dragon completely wraps until we get a trailer, which we know there is a trailer because members of the press were shown one recently at an event in New York City. Um, we're kind of in the waiting game here. And I think the news for House of the Dragon is going to kind of trickle down just a little bit until that trailer drops. And then we're likely going to start getting quite 
a bit more. Um, but barring that, feel free to hit hit me with any House of the Dragon questions. We're going to keep going here, um, and we'll see when Dan is able to uh, get back. Um, but the next thing we're going to talk about, or I'm going to ramble about, so you guys in the comments, help me out here today. Feel free to pepper me with comments, questions, etc., etc., so that it's not just a wall of me blabbering at you. But the next thing that we're going to talk about is that I spoke to the King Killer Chronicle, Patrick Rothfuss, uh, this, or I guess it was last week. Um, but the interview went up on our channel this week, and he has a new book out. Uh, so the narrow road between desires. This is the first new book in Patrick Rothfuss's King Killer Chronicle series um, in almost a decade. Hey, Dan is back. What's up there, Dan? How you doing? Hey, everyone. So um, I realized that life is funny and sometimes it makes fools of us <laughs> all. And usually on this show, when we have technical difficulties, generally speaking, Daniel is the one who has them. It's I have such hopes for this stream. This time, what happened was my internet <laughs> is updating firmware. So it did that in the middle of Take the Black Weekly, which is a sacred space where you deserve the absolute best. I couldn't give that to you. And it booted me off and I didn't know why. I've rejoined on a, on a, on a cellular hotspot, the workaround. which I hope is stable. It could go to any moment. So we're going to live on the edge here. I apologize. Nice. I pledge to do better. And this will never happen again. And if it does, you have the right to invoke martial law upon me. Daniel, Coda, what have Ooh. I missed? Yes. Uh, you missed us talking about those House of the Dragon photos. We talked a little about the sowing of the seeds. Um, and kind of how news on House of the Dragon is starting to it's it's a going down to a trickle, but we know there's a trailer that's out there that people have that's seen. True. And we're expecting that uh the news will ramp up at some point. But for now, we just mainly have that scene of uh stunt people getting set on fire, and that's the news for the week. And we were just it about to get some... into talking about Patrick Rothfuss. It is some wonderful shots. I I, I do like the um the drama of the huge things um okay let's let's yes. move on uh, and that's mostly your uh camp i'm sure you are already into it i apologize again uh daniel keep talking about rothfuss and what okay. you two did together yeah i will i and i just need to say it is kind of funny because as dan said usually technical difficulties are on my end so when he froze i was just like i'm frozen i i'm disconnected i just assumed it was me um, but yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, uh, Patrick Rothfuss's new book, The Narrow Road Between Desires, came out. Now, this is an interesting one because it's not a wholly new book. Um, it's a re kind of a reimagining of a novella that he released in 2014 called The Lightning Tree that was part of this anthology called Rogues that he contributed to that was edited by none other than... Uh, a Song of Ice and Fire author, George R. R. Martin, and the, the absolutely legendary science fiction and fantasy editor, editor Gardner Dozois, who was like the editor of Asimov's wow. magazine for, for years and years. He won, He's won so many awards, it's folly to even try to count them. 
but yeah, mm-hmm. Martin and Dozois did a bunch of anthologies together, and Rothfuss contributed this story to one of them, and it's about Bast, and it's basically a day in the life of Bast. That's Voth's like fake companion. Um, this new version is like truly a new version of the story. Um, so he kind of intended to just like clean up the language. He got a bunch of art done by Nate Taylor, who's the same person who did art for the slow regard of silent things, his novella about Ari. Um, but instead, as I I found talking to Patrick Rothfuss, as is typical kind of of his style, he started doing this thing. He expected to be a relatively small, easy thing. And then it became a much larger thing. And he basically like rewrote the whole thing. Um, So this is like twice the length of the original. Every single scene has been just vastly improved, like to the point where I would never say like, go read the lightning tree instead. Like it really does make the old version like totally obsolete because it's just a much better version of the story. Um, And there are even a few new scenes and some new magical elements he introduced that he told me uh, could reappear in the main King Killer books uh, whenever he gets back to writing the Doors of Stone. So yeah, that that's what's up with Patrick Rothfuss. It was a, a really great interview. I really enjoyed talking with him. Um, and yeah, do do you have any questions about this, Dan? Because I feel like I I've rambled about this quite a lot. Uh, but <laughs> this book's out. Definitely recommend it for fans of his. Well, first of all, I'll say that um, reading your interview and listening to it was a very impressive because Patrick Rothfuss is a pretty big author. And the fact that you yeah. got it, that we got it for Wick, I think is a nice little feather in our cap. And thanks to Mr. Rothfuss for deigning to uh, do that. Yeah. Um, it yeah, made it me want to read the book. I, honestly, I'll, I'll admit it wasn't really on my to do list before this, but you made it sound mm-hmm. like a real meaty, like worthwhile read. And Patrick Rothfuss always pays close attention to language and to prose and to text, which I think is always worth a look for someone interested in how to write pretty. Um, I guess I can ask you, I think it's an obvious question. Uh, Patrick Rothfuss is best known for his King Killer Chronicles series, which chronicles the life um, of a King Killer named Kvothe, Kvothe, I still don't know how to say it. Um, And we've been waiting for the third book in that series, The Doors of Stone, for as long as we've been waiting for the winds of winter did he say anything about Mm -hmm. that um not really uh and to be fair we didn't really talk about it a whole lot we stayed pretty focused on his new book sure Um, the main the main takeaway in regards to the doors of stone which is the third king killer book that like you said we've been waiting for pretty much the same exact amount of time as the as a dance or less the winds of winter Whatever, the the one that we're waiting for from George. Um, mm-hmm. Basically, what he said was that it was just really nice to be writing in this world again, which makes me think he did take some time off. He, he maybe needed to take some time off. And it sure. was nice to be writing to a deadline again for a thing he was actively trying to release. Um, you know, not something he's been stuck in a slog on for a decade. Uh, so the, the main takeaway was there are some things in this and I don't want to make this sound like this is setting up the third King killer Chronicle book. Like this, the Mm. new book is really a standalone, like small story about Bast. Um, I believe it takes place just before the, the King killer Chronicle books proper. Like it's before Chronicler 
has arrived in the town where he's being told the life story of this of both which yeah i still even going into the interview i was like man how do i pronounce this this name right there's a v next to a k ah um <laughs> but yeah so the the big takeaway is that there are some especially magic systems there's this, this thing called embrels he introduced here that's uh it's kind of like uh runes like fortune telling that fey use mm. and that could cross over he expects to use that again um right but yeah i don't want anyone to you know come away from this thinking like yes this is the you know this new heavy piece like it is still kind of a light um shorter story it's standalone you'll get the whole story and in, in one 200 page book um but it is like just a, a the original lightning tree i kind of felt was just like a off the wall like bast being bast for a day this one it feels like mm-hmm. there's more meaning like it's more of an actual story instead of just like a slice of life thing um so yeah if you if you've missed i just was so happy to be reading in this world again and it felt it felt like that you know picking it up it's like ah it's so nice to be reading a new story here even though it's one i've read because I was already familiar with the lightning tree. Uh, but yeah, so that's the gist with that book. Yeah, it's, um again, one of those things I wasn't really considering reading before, but it has been a while since I've read a, anything by Patrick Rothfuss in this world, and it sounds like something worth getting. Yeah. And with the holiday season coming up, where I'll be off work for a bit, what better way than to spend the time than to get in front of a fire, have a mug of hot cocoa, put some Baileys in, and read uh, The Narrow Road Between Desires. I think I seriously am considering getting that. Um, read before cool. the new year rings in. Yeah, I mean, if like like I said, if you've been missing his work, if you enjoyed reading his books before, like it's a nice way to spend a couple of days reading this book, I think. Um, it's um, hard for me to imagine any fan of his reading it and like regretting it or being like, oh, that wasn't what I wanted. Like, you know, unless your expectations are really off and you think it's going to give you all the secrets from book three, he hasn't finished yet. Like uh, it's, it is a nice new addition. And I've always wished this story got this kind of treatment um, where it was a standalone book you could put on the shelf next to the slow regard of silent things. So sure. yeah, I, I hope people enjoy it. Yeah. Um, do you want to transition into the next topic? Because I have a great segue if you do, or do you have more to say about um, Patrick Rothfuss and our exclusive interview with him about his new book in the King Killer series, the narrow the narrow road between desires, available to watch and read now on Winter is Coming YouTube and .net. Yeah, I think uh, all I'll say is just if, if you're interested in his work, uh, the interview he really he talks about some stuff I've never heard him talk about uh in regards to like how the original lightning tree was made how george r martin like he tried to submit a story to george r martin for that anthology and martin was like he (laughs) almost slipped almost slipped into an impression of martin where he's like this isn't really a story is it um (laughs) i noticed that i noticed that when i listened to it he almost started slipping into it. I'm like, that's fun. So yeah, if you are interested in, you know, Rothfuss doesn't do a ton of interviews. Um, or impressions. So it it is, I, I definitely, I think if you're a fan of his work, you would, you'll probably enjoy it. But Dan, what is your transition here into our next topic? 
Uh, my segue is that Andrew has a good comment here saying that Daniel Destin, Daniel Cretton, who was in a, uh, going to be the director on Avengers, the Kang dynasty has departed the movie, uh, which ties Ooh. into a lot of rigmarole. I'll use that word. I don't care how strong it is about the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how it's depending on who you ask, either entering a new interesting phase or spinning out of control. We've heard a lot of things lately about how they're reorienting, about how they're going to have to do something because their movies are not doing terribly well, or at least as much as they used to be. The Marvels came out and we'll talk about it. I know. Uh, And I know you enjoyed it, but it is objectively a financial bomb and a pretty big one. It sounds like I think it cost like $250 million and it's made like 50 so far domestically, maybe more internationally, but um, it's an open question whether that one will even make back its budget, which is not good for um, a major tentpole movie like this. They're saying that they might want to kind of um, branch away from this whole Kang the Conqueror storyline they're working on because a Jonathan majors has some personal scandal stuff and B no one's watching the movies that are building up to the big Kang stuff. So they don't really want to keep going forward with it. And the director of uh, what the movie is Avengers, the Kang dynasty departing definitely seems like more fuel to the fire, more evidence that uh, things are changing for the worse, for the better. We can't know, but changing. So Daniel, yeah. keeping in mind all the crap I just said, uh, you watched the Marvels <laughs> over the weekend. I haven't yes. seen it yet. I've heard some mixed things. I, I know you enjoyed it. Other folk I've talked to didn't enjoy it as much. Um, what did you think of it? And do you see in it a mirror reflecting the turmoil and chaos at the heart of the Disney Corporation? I mean, I think... So, so there are a few, there's a lot to unpack with this, honestly. Um, <laughs> so yes, I think the box office performance of the Marvels is kind of indicative, I think, of the general public feeling toward the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now, more yeah. than like the Marvels itself as a movie. Cause like, that's fair that like, you know, the the reviews are kind of mixed on it i i think that's fair uh i and it does have something working against it here and i completely disagree with this but i've seen these comments about basically people bitching that it is a superhero movie led by women and it's forgetting Mm -hmm. the men like that's an actual comment i have seen people make about this movie which i loathe i totally disagree with but I do think like the original Captain Marvel kind of famously got backlash from like that Ooh, yeah. sector of the fandom. Um, and I think we're seeing that a little bit here, too. But I also think that Marvel has just burned a lot of goodwill with fans by expecting them to just turn out for anything, regardless of how good it is. Like Secret Invasion was a pretty clear like flop in every sense of the word to me. Like it didn't yeah. really do didn't seem to do well streaming wise the the show itself was not good at all which it like that's the first time for me with a marvel show i was just like i'm tuning out i'm gonna hate watch this 
uh, drinking copiously <laughs> because that's the only way I'm getting through this thing. And, you know, that was a Samuel L. Jackson led TV show with Amelia Clark. It should have been a hit. Um, so there's there are those elements. And I do think that with the Marvels, it's a little bit of a shame because no matter how you slice it, the Marvels is not a bad movie. Um, mm-hmm. Like I enjoyed it a lot. I thought it was just a really fun MCU movie. It feels like a team up movie. It is asking a bit of the audience because it has, you know, Kamala Khan and and um, Monica Rambeau. Uh, so Iman Vellani and Tayona Paris. They're mm-hmm. from Miss Marvel and WandaVision, respectively. And those are two TV shows. And they're teaming up with Brie Larson's uh, Captain Marvel. And I think that <laughs> it's a shame because the movie actually handles all of that really well. I don't mm-hmm. think... And it's hard because I am obviously biased because I've seen all of them. So I can't watch this sure. imagining what it would be like having not said that, uh, read, seen them, whatever. Um, read, seen, but, it's all the same. Use your senses. Yeah, having having ingested them into my brain. <laughs> um, but I thought that the movie um, did a really good job of dropping enough pertinent information to kind of fill you in on who these characters are without you know, needing to get into the details of everything. I thought they felt like the same characters in a way that like Wanda uh, Scarlet Witch didn't in Multiverse of Badness. Like there was a a noticeable disconnect from her WandaVision character and the Scarlet Witch in Multiverse of Madness. And I think this movie did it better. So this is probably the best example of Disney bringing over characters from its TV shows into a Marvel movie and having that go like the movie itself is, is pretty good. It's entertaining and it's fun. And, you know, they kind of knew what they wanted to make and they made it. Um, But yeah, I think fans, fans are kind of fed up with Marvel a little bit right now. They're not giving it the same goodwill. Um, And it's a shame because I think if this same exact movie came out two years ago, it would have been really well received. So that to me is a sign that it's not really about the movie. It's about the state of Marvel Studios. And the stuff with uh, Kang is a pretty good example of that. Um, You know, that was the person they were setting up as the next Thanos. Now they're pivoting. Um, I hadn't even seen the thing about Destin Daniel Cretton. What I saw was that Jeff Loveness. Yeah, apparently. uh, So Jeff Loveness, who was writing the Kang Dynasty, uh, Joanna Robinson, who wrote the book MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios, which is excellent, by the way. I'm reading that I'm right here. now. So good. Um, Jeff Loveness, who was writing the movie, he supposedly left the movie. Uh, so it seems like Kang is being put on ice, which is mm. unfortunate. Do you think Do you think they can... W- what are your thoughts about that? Because that's a pretty big move to be like, maybe let's do a different big bad guy than the one we've been setting up for two years. Oh, I'm not sure they're going to do a different big bad guy or bad guy at all. I wonder if they're completely rethinking everything as in Mm. they may be thinking maybe a huge interconnected story is not something that was ever going to work twice. That Mm. the assumption they had was that because I'll just go ahead and say the Infinity Saga was such a huge hit nice. that 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 like that's our model they like studios love patterns they love to find something that works then do it over mm-hmm. and over again but um 
I don't I, I don't think I don't think that was true. I think that hit because it came at the right time and it was new. Um, that whole mm-hmm. like pouring tons of money into these giant action oriented superhero temple movies was something that hadn't really been done before. And from Iron Man onwards, it was exciting and it built and it climaxed. And I think mm-hmm. that they assume that folk are in this for the rest of their lives and yeah, were wrong. Like people were in that because they loved that story. And then they trailed off after it was done. Although they didn't trail off immediately. They trailed off because, and I think even they would acknowledge this. They flooded the market with too much stuff. They put out, not yeah. only a new Doctor Strange movie, but another TV show you kind of had to watch to understand why he was doing what he was doing in the new Doctor Strange movie. They put out not only a sequel to Captain Marvel, but a sequel to Captain Marvel that involved two other characters from two other TV shows. You didn't have to watch, I of course, but it would help. Like, I just watched Chris Stuckman's review of the Marvels before I came onto this thing. And this is a guy who watches, you know, everything. He loves movies. He lo- He's a critic on YouTube. Um, he loves going to the movies, loves watching TV shows, and he's like, I've fallen off more TV shows. I don't have the time to watch all of this stuff. I gotta see other, other things too. Yeah. And if like, you know, if like big movie fanatics aren't keeping up with it, I don't there's no reason to assume that other folk are too. They had a great brand. They still have a good brand, but I guess they overvalued how much sway it really had. And they overextended themselves, and now they have to do something. Um, whether that's if I were them, I would try something new. I wouldn't do a big new villain story that brought everyone together. I would try and make some good, discreet movies. And if some of those end up being big hits, you can spin off into further things. Chase that rabbit a little bit. But um, yeah, I feel like it's time for something new. And if they want to do an, an, an interconnected thing, it's going to have to be in a smaller scale. We have now proven that a bigger scale, the scale they did, is not going to work. So they have some thinking to this we're going to do. I'm sure they'll come out of it eventually. It's possible that, honest to God, it's possible that the collapse of the MCU will be big enough to reorient movies in general to something new. I mean, it reoriented them in the first place. It kind of mm-hmm. not only brought about all these big Marvel movies that dominated the box for the past 10, 10 years and change. It inspired everyone else to do that. It inspired Sony to do that with Spider-Man. It inspired uh, Warner Bros. to do that with DC movies. It inspired, you know, more Transformers films and it inspired all these cinematic universes. If that goes out of vogue in general, we could be entering a new era of movies. And I'm not sure anyone knows what that looks like yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is definitely fair. It, it is definitely staring at a moment where things could shift and nobody really knows what that might look like on the other side. Um, I don't know that that would even be a bad thing, honestly, uh, because yeah, the thing with, with Marvel, you know, it's interesting hearing you talk about how maybe the, the interconnected storytelling isn't something that people are going to turn out for more or things like that, because I think part of their issue here is they've done it too little. Uh, so in, <laughs> in from the end of in, the Infinity Saga to now, there has been just, I don't remember the exact amount of hours of programming that they've released, 
but I know it's probably more than like the entire Infinity Saga. What we've gotten since then, right. um, oh. between the the television shows and the movies, like Definitely. they have put out so much, and they haven't done an Avengers crossover movie since. So in some ways, those crossovers were kind of like what brought the audience and all these disparate plot threads together to keep propelling us forward. And we're not really getting that anymore. And and now. I, I agree with you that like going to another big bad, like that may be difficult. Um, I've seen some people say the next thing they should be doing is Avengers versus X-Men, which is a very famous thing that the comics Ooh. do. They have this, these whole runs of Avengers versus X-Men and they're very popular. Um, and the X-Men are still like the next thing. It, it does seem like they're clearly trying to bring in without getting into spoilers or this or that. Um, it doesn't seem like they've tabled X-Men. Deadpool 3 no. is now the only MCU movie on the slate for next year. And that is one that will firmly deal with X-Men stuff, hopefully, because it's starring two, two mutants. I don't know why it wouldn't. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting times for Marvel and kind of like the perfect example of the oversaturation here. So the Loki finale also premiered last week, the day before the Marvels dropped. And mm-hmm. I thought the Loki finale was excellent. Um, mm. I loved the way it ended. I was like, wow, this is really like very deep for a Marvel show and really good for this character. Like one of my qualms with the Thor movies is that like they're about Norse Norse gods. And sometimes they feel like they really could care less about the mythological aspect of that. The finale of Loki felt like it struck that balance perfectly where he was doing some stuff. And it's like, this feels like God stuff you're doing here, but you're still these Marvel characters. Um, But it hardly got room to breathe and be acclaimed on its own before this other movie comes out and it's a box office flop. And you're right. Objectively it is flopping because 220 million, I think to make it another hundred million to promote it. Uh, it made around 110 million at the global box office its opening weekend, which is really low for a Marvel movie. Um, so I don't know. I don't know what the future holds for Marvel, but I know it's going through a reckoning right now. I'm not sure really anybody does, which is, um, you know, both scary and exciting. Uh, the future of cinema. What does it look like? What does Marcus say to think about it? Uh, we'll find out all of these yeah. things as we go on. The Loki finale was great. I agree with you. It was really, really strong. It was yeah. kind of resonant. It got me in the feels. It got me in the wow, holy crap, it's cool. Um, yeah. And you're right. It, it it did feel like something a god would do, like on a more mythological level. And what are all these superheroes, yeah. if not just kind of old mythologies repackaged with a uh, Tom Hiddleston yeah. in a in a in a in a green <laughs> costume? But yeah, we'll see. That's where we are with the Marvel stuff. I feel like we're all saying things that people have most said before. And what happens next with uh, the Kang stuff? Probably a pivot away, but we'll find out. Daniel, beyond uh, the Marvels and Loki, what else you watching these days? And what are all you watching out there? Yeah, hit us up in the comments and let us know what you're watching. Um, The biggest thing that I have been... uh, watching lately has been beacon 23 which is a new science fiction show that is premiering on mgm plus which yes that is a streaming service you can watch things on it <laughs> always, uh, that's, always. The, 
the same one that did the winter king which was that bernard cornwell show that just ended um and while the winter king it sounds like dan you were kind of disappointed in i've been pleasantly surprised by how good beacon 23 is um it's about these two people who are trapped on a lighthouse uh, a deep space lighthouse that guides ships through dangerous uh space terrain um and they kind of each Ruby. have their own shady agendas and they're trying to you know it deals with these ideas of isolation and kind of what that does to a person and stars lena Headey. uh she is amazing in this show they really kind of gave her the range she steals Every every line, not even every scene, every line she has, it's like, God, I love watching Lena Heedy. She's so good. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the big one I've been watching. Uh, aside from that, I also watched most of Blue Eye Samurai. Thank you, everyone who recommended that last week. Uh-huh. And damn, okay. what a show. Blue Eye yeah. Samurai is great. Yeah, huh. so it it's this animated series on Netflix and it's about this this woman samurai who um her mother was sexually assaulted by one of the four white men in japan who are arms dealers in feudal japan at this time so she sets out on a quest for vengeance basically and it's very graphic it's very violent um the animation is excellent the storytelling is really good um yeah that show there's that is there's something special about that show so yeah those are the main things i've been watching good stuff what about you Dan? pretty cool yep i've heard nothing but good things about blue Light samurai I'm, i i may check it out um i'm still watching invincible which i still recommend great superhero nice. show on amazon very different <laughs> it's not it's not marvels it's, it's 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 something different i swear um that thing's great for all mankind yeah. <laughs> apple tv plus apple tv plus is one of those services that doesn't seem to be at the moment kind of jacking prices adding ad tiers a scrambling but give it time mm-hmm. um yeah which is still good this kind of a alternate history show they're in the early 2000s now of how that would be different gore wins in this reality over bush uh fyi that, that's ah. how they um, go, go back and do that so that's so that's been fun and i gotcha. also started watching because I, I watched the first season of this show back when it aired on HBO a couple of years ago, and I was morbidly morbidly upset by it then, but still curious, and I feel the same way now. I, saw, I picked up The Gilded Age on HBO, which is this okay. Julian Fellows, what if Downton Abbey was in America sort of um, show about turn of the century, really rich people in Manhattan having really rich problems and going to high teas and arranging balls and galas and coming out parties to find their footing in society and crushing unions and everyone's really well dressed and really well photographed. Um, It's uh, it is well mannered wealth pornography, I guess is the best way I can describe it. Uh, But it's, there is something classic about that sort of British drama, and it is a British drama. I don't care if Christine Baranski's in it and talking in an American accent. It's a British chamber drama with like American yeah. accents. It's 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 Downton Abbey in America. That's what it is. Uh, and everyone talks the same sort of very kind of uh, clipped, stylized way. 
everyone has the same sort of concerns. If you like Downton Abbey, you'll like this. I feel like the times have shifted since Downton Abbey is on and something about this show just feels almost uncomfortable to watch like this sort of just (laughs) unironic um, lauding and like worship of these incredibly rich people having their problems. It feels a little distasteful in a way that it didn't like 10 years ago. Uh, But I am watching it. So it's doing something right. And Christine Baranski can deliver a sassy one liner. Uh, So that's the Gilded Age. Okay. Gotcha. It sounds this, you know, you talked about this when I guess season one was on that it kind of feels like I had the same feeling a little bit. Yeah, Yeah, it's it is interesting to think about, like, have we reached a point where a show like that goes over less? Well, I mean, I, I, I wonder what like the Regency drama crowd would think of something like the Gilded Age. It feels mm. like the kind of thing that might appeal there, but yeah, it's I for them. I mean, I have zero. Yeah, it seems like it could be for them. Um, it, it also so... irritates me a little bit that, again, it's like you could have had Warrior on HBO, but you put an HBO Max and you put The Idol instead. And you could have Our Flag Means Death on HBO rather than The Gilded Age, put that on, on Max instead. I don't, I wish they would flip these things. I don't know why like th- these get like the primetime HBO slots and some of the in my opinion better stuff is getting kind of not burned off but released to less fanfare on uh max there is i you know i assume there are contractual reasons maybe they'd have to pay people more if they put it on hbo um but it is a shame like it's a shame to see shows like warrior and our flags means death and i and raised by wolves i'll always raised by wolves put to you know, Raised by Wolves was like one of the flagship shows of Max when it first launched. It was their like best original series and it got canceled a season later. Uh, and it's like, man, I wonder, you know, in another universe, uh, you know, Al Gore won the presidency <laughs> and HBO released these shows on HBO instead of just on Max. And who knows how different things might have been. Um, so, yeah, that's that's fair. Um Andrew says he's watching Goosebumps, the Santa Claus of season two and Blue Eye Samurai. Good, good <laughs> choice there. Um, the, so I do. Is there anything else you're watching? I have a couple of books I want to I want to talk about very quickly before we get into our lightning round. I could just say that a couple of people are watching are watching uh, Fear the Walking Dead, which I don't think I've seen one person who seems to be enjoying. So uh, if, if, if you're on that train, um you know, a grateful nation salutes you for your sacrifice. Yeah, it's interesting times for The Walking Dead. I think their other spinoffs have done, uh, like, I was a little surprised by how well they done it, they went over with everyone, just because I felt like they really tanked their series finale to set up all these spinoffs. But, like, Dead City, <laughs> right. Daryl Dixon, like, they're they're relatively solid, but it sounds like Fear the Walking Dead is is uh, struggling. So sorry to Julie and Robert and everyone else who's watching those. Um, but so beyond shows, I think I talked about this book a few weeks ago. I'm finally getting around to finishing it. These Burning Stars by Bethany Jacobs. This is another revenge type story. Uh, it's a sci-fi. Uh, so think like Dune type story. Um, with space clerics on a quest for revenge trying to uncover these deep (laughs) 
hypocritical mysteries about the way their society was formed on the backs of a genocide. And some people want to cover it up. Some people want to expose it. Some people just want to cause chaos. So really enjoying that. Uh, if you like like N.K. Jemison, like uh, those types of books might be one to check out. And that one's out. Um, the other one. So this came in the mail yesterday. I'm going to be reviewing this on the site at some point. I've never mm-hmm. reviewed one of these before. The Witcher Cookbook. <laughs> the Witcher Cookbook showed up. Um, and mm-hmm. yeah, this is recipes. So these are from the game. They're not from the television show. Okay. And this, so this book, one, it's a beautiful book. Uh, it's kind of in the vein of like a Feast of Ice and Fire, those types of like tie-in cookbooks. Um, they split it up similarly by region. So you can do recipes from Skellige or Novigrad or Kermorin. Mm-hmm. Um the recipes are a little intimidating. I'm not going to lie. Some of them have a whole lot of ingredients. Um, huh. Julie says, open it, please. Let me see if I can flip to the artwork. The pictures in this thing are gorgeous. There are there are all these sorts of pictures of, of these cool. delicious looking, uh, you know, medieval style meals. Um, and they have interestingly like... Um, you know, like Eastern European flair and style to these things, because that is culturally where the Witcher is from, you sure. know, Andrzej Sapkowski is, is Polish, but yeah, like, um, so yeah, this is, this is an interesting book. Uh, definitely. I think for like Witcher fans who also know how to cook, you'd probably enjoy <laughs> this. Um, but yeah, I got to get my, my chef game on to see how these recipes turn out to review that thing. Uh, so yeah, that's what's going on in in Bookland for right now. Um, Love it. Anything else you want to hit up before we do our world famous lightning round? I do have a a quick question for you. You cook, right? I think you yes. mentioned cooking before. So, okay, so I do. So like, if, if if you're intimidated by these recipes, that they, they must be at least like at an intermediate level. Yes, that is. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yes, I do a a fair amount of cooking. I've made a a lot of recipes from A Feast of Ice and Fire, other cookbooks. So when I say this, it's not like I make ramen noodles and now I'm looking at my first cookbook. It's like I use I use cookbooks like not like regularly enough uh, that looking at this, I'm like, oh, this has, you know, 20 to 30 ingredients. That's a lot of ingredients for a recipe. This is going to be somewhat complicated. I did not know that they ate so damn well in Velen, you know, (laughs) rat stew and whatever. But yeah, no, it's a gorgeous book. I am looking forward. Anytime you get a cookbook like this, you kind of have to flip through and see which ones are really challenging and which ones you can kind of make on the fly a little bit more. So, uh, but yeah, I would say at least intermediate some of these recipes. Very nice. Love it. All right, let's do that lightning round, Daniel. It's been um, an interesting show, okay. but we're going to end it with a strike of excitement. Ooh. Right. Let's hit it. Uh, uh, ask me first, because I think you'll have more opinions on the second one. Okay. Uh, so, The Boys, Amazon's mm-hmm. subversive superhero show, will return in 2024, uh, and it will pick up a couple of days after the events of the spinoff Gen V. Yeah, the boys, I've liked every season of it. I want to see more of it. I'm a little concerned with all our talk about superhero franchises overextending themselves that 
even asking a little bit of the audience, even putting a little bit of the plot in this Gen V spinoff is going to make the next season, I don't know, a little harder to digest easily, but they haven't got it wrong yet. So I'm willing yeah. to give it, I'm willing to give it a chance. All right, Daniel, speaking of the Witcher yes. cookbooks and the Witcher in general, there is a Witcher anime movie coming to Netflix. It's called Sirens of yeah. the Deep, and it stars Doug Cockle as Geralt of Rivia. Who's that? Yeah, so Doug Cockle is the voice of Geralt in the video games. He is voicing Geralt for this new anime movie, Sirens of the Deep, coming out, I believe, late next year, fall 2024. And that is based on one of the short stories from Sepkov's, the from the author's book, uh, Sword of Destiny, that did not make it into season one. Geralt's and merman that's the it's his version of a, the <laughs> little mermaid um good pitch. i really hope that's good that that looks promising and thank you nice um so dan the office creator uh greg daniels mm-hmm. i think doesn't yeah. want to do a reboot not interested but he's open to a mandalorian style sister show what does that mean there have been other reports lately about Greg Daniels wanting to do like a full-on reboot, like the home office is what I heard. So he got asked, like, is that true? And he's like, no, but we'll do a Mandalorian style show, which I guess means like, I don't know, like the office, but it's a different set of characters in like a cannery or something or a different business in a different part of the world going about their daily humdrum lives. Um, I think you just leave it alone in general, but that's just me. We're doing a good job today. Yeah, I think that's I think all right. Um, Daniel, uh, by the way, uh, Netflix released like 30,000 trailers over the weekend, which is where a lot of these things come from because they had a big event. Uh, For example, they released a trailer for their live action remake of Avatar The Last Airbender, which is coming out on Netflix on February 22nd of 2024. A lot of twos and a four. How do you feel about that? Um, I feel. Wait, are you asking me? I thought I. Yes, you are what? asking me. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm confused, apparently, is how I feel. I The trailer looked pretty cool, uh, and did, they yeah. did a good job with One Piece. Uh, I still am nervous just knowing the original creators departed over creative differences, but I am more excited and hopeful than I have been yet for this series because that trailer was pretty damn cool. So, yeah, February. Netflix is going to have a good start to the year next year. Um. And speaking of Netflix's good start to the year, uh, mm-hmm. so a month after Avatar The Last Airbender premieres on Netflix, it will be dropping the three-body problem uh, based on the work of Xi Jin Liu. Um, it is one. It is a hugely popular uh, Chinese science fiction series that David Benioff and Dan Weiss of Game of Thrones fame, they are making for Netflix. It's coming out on March 21st, 2024. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Dan? I, I read, read the book to prepare for this, and I'm excited. I mean, A, because it is a cool story that has like a sort of misanthropic take on sci-fi that can be very dark and very interesting and very and very gritty. And also, because Benioff and Weiss, Game of Thrones guys, are going to do something huge for the first time since Game of Thrones. I'm curious about how it's going to be received. I'm curious about what the narrative is going to be. I'm curious if the show is going to be good. I'm looking forward to it. I will watch it. We'll be there. March. Be there or be square. Um, Let's see. Next up, Daniel. Um, I'll skip to the end here because I know you want this one. 
uh, Netflix is making a Terminator yeah. anime. Yeah, that. that's all we know. It's Terminator. It's an anime. It'll be on Netflix. Uh, Netflix <laughs> hasn't revealed like any other details for this thing, just that it exists and we will get to watch it at some point. Um, I like Terminator, so I'm cool with that. I'd watch a brutal, bloody Terminator anime. And Netflix is doing pretty well, I think, with adult anime uh, yeah. series. So I'll give that a chance, I think. Um, Maybe. So, Dan, uh, all right, let me ask you this one then. Uh, because Whatever. I think you know a little more about this guy. Uh, so Netflix, it, this is just the Netflix lightning round. Like, it let's is, be real here. Uh, n- they are making a dead boy detective series, which is also probably coming out in 2024. And I had never even heard of that before this announcement. So, so what even is that? Again, this is like under the heading of shared universe fear because dead boy detectives is a spinoff of the sandman and they have a sandman show and it's quite good and i like that they would make a season i want more and they're already just like the way they make a show and then immediately go like what can we spin off of this is i know it's a little alarming it's a neil gaiman uh comic it's good but just i just it's a little it's a little alarming and finally daniel um yeah uh, here's here's another thing about a Netflix anime for you because that's what that's what Netflix is all about these days. They are releasing a live action version of the popular anime I have never seen called Yu Yu Hakusho on December fourteenth. Do you know anything about that? Wow, December fourteenth. That's like a month from now. I know that I'm it shocked is. that it's that soon. I assumed <laughs> that was like way next year. Uh, yeah, so that's a, a very popular anime. Netflix's MO, they're doing another live action adaptation. Can they make lightning strike in a bottle twice this year with that in one piece? I'm real skeptical. Apparently this one you told me, Dan, is also about a dead boy who becomes a detective. So mm-hmm. that's fun. Netflix has a type. But yeah, what's happening? I uh, guess. Thanks for sticking with Stang. Thanks for uh, sticking with everybody. I know that was a uh, sorry again for the technical difficulties. We'll do our utmost to, to keep that from uh, recurring. I, I agree with you. I do. But if you can see it in your heart to um, give us a like or subscribe anyway, we'd appreciate it. We air the show every Wednesday at uh, 2 p.m. CST uh, on the Windows Screen Facebook and YouTube page. And we're, of course, available to download wherever you download podcasts, be Google Play, iTunes, or elsewhere. Again, we'd really appreciate a like and a subscribe. And we'll keep everything uh, difficult to a minimum. And just we'll see you here next week on Take the Black, where technical difficulties only remind you of how exciting life can be. Yeah, take care. All. This podcast is brought to you by Fansighted. Join our community of over 300 sites from sports to pop culture and everything in between. 